You're listening to The Tarot Diagnosis. I'm your host, Shannon. I'm a licensed psychotherapist, and I also happen to have a love for tarot. Each episode, I invite you to reflect with me as I work to demystify the tarot and the human experience, all while exploring tarot's connection to mental and emotional health. While this podcast may feel therapeutic, it is not meant to take the place of psychotherapy. So grab your cards and join me as I work to create a pathway to better understand ourselves and those around us. Today, I get the opportunity to talk to Sarah Tebow, an artist, writer, psychic medium, and tarot reader based in Los Angeles, California. She's the host of the SideWoo podcast and creator of the Substack Art Date. Her artwork, writing, and podcast investigate the intersection of mental health, metaphysical subjects, and social justice. They ask how art can change the way we see the world and understand our connection to the forces that shape it. Hi, Sarah. Hello, Shannon. So I've been I've been really excited to have you on, and I've been looking forward to our conversation about the Wheel of Fortune all week because, to be honest, it's a card I don't pull that often, and mm-hmm. I feel like it's a card that for a while I've had a really superficial relationship with. So, and I was I knew that like this card was going to come up in the podcast. So I've been trying to spend time finding this deeper connection to it, deeper psychological meaning. And then, you know, you had reached out and you were sharing some of your ideas. And I feel like that kind of sparked some of my own creative energy and thoughts around the card. Mm. So I was like, wait, we just, we need to talk about this. So (laughs) I appreciate that you had your own kind of exciting thoughts about this and hopefully you're going to share it today. Yeah, thank you so much for indulging me because I was like, (laughs) I had this huge aha moment with something like I had done in the past that I had gotten the Wheel of Fortune on and interpreted it kind of like the wrong way and made like a made a move that I now wish I had handled it slightly differently, and so it really had me thinking like I don't think I've been looking at this the right way. You know, and so I had an aha moment and I was like, who would appreciate this? Because there's not like so many people that care. (laughs) So I was like, oh my God, Shannon would like really like to talk about this, I bet. You know, so I I was like, at least I should just share and then she can take it, whatever. But yeah, I love that you did that. And I love how, you know, we've talked about this before because I was on your podcast not too long ago, how a lot of the topics that, you know, are typically discussed on the tarot diagnosis, you tend to really be resonating with, which Mm -hmm. really excites me. So it means so much to me that you, one, felt comfortable reaching out and being like, hey, I had these thoughts. Like, what do you think? And two, that you would be willing to just hop on here and do a podcast with me about it because I know that it's not always the easiest thing. But you have your own podcast, so it's a little bit easier. Um, But still, I appreciate it. Oh, yeah. Likewise. I mean, yeah, it's definitely a different being in the hot seat. You know, but I'm happy to be here. So, so I'm curious, like, where do you feel like your relationship with the Wheel of Fortune is right now? Especially because you had this aha moment, Mm -hmm. you know, and I talked a minute ago about how, like, I'm trying to deepen my relationship with it. So, where are you even at right now? Yeah. I mean, I think it has evolved a lot in part because the deck that I've been using. And I started, you know, with the Marseille. That's like Mm -hmm. how I learned. And then the Rider-Waite-Smith, which, you know, the wheels aren't that different in those two decks. 
So really thinking about like language in a weird way and then like all the little, you know, like astrological symbols in the corners are all reading. So there's something about like learning and research. And then I started using the Morgan Greer deck and they have these, this king and a queen and then like the jester or someone who is like lower Mm -hmm. station getting kicked off in the lower right-hand corner. And then this like kind of godlike hand cranking the wheel. And so, you know, it made me think about the whole like sacrifice of the kings that they would do in this like evolution of, you know, you're in power one day and then you're out the next day. And, and that's a little bit like more punitive. And so I think for a while, and then thinking about karma as like a punitive process. And, you know, I was trying to kind of detach from that. And then I had this experience where I was like getting really frustrated with someone's kind of like flakiness or bad, you know, not exactly bad behavior, but just lack of professionalism and flakiness. Mm -hmm. And I kind of like shut it down in a way that looking back, I don't know if I would have done it because then I feel like I was kind of lowering myself to that energy instead of being more compassionate for like, oh, maybe they have a lot of demands on them or, you know, and they are in power. So like, that's just the game you play, you know? Mm. Um, and and so since then, I've kind of always been like, you know, that guy in the corner, I always thought like, which one do you want to be? Like, are you, or who are you in this card? Are you the king or the queen? Or are you that guy getting booted? Or are they the guy getting booted? So anyway, like that's all to say, I started to think of it as you can be like the person in the corner getting booted or like if your goal is to get boot them off, like you'll probably end up being that guy. You know, like you're not, it's not really going to result in you being at the top <laughs> of the wheel, I guess is kind of yeah where I like landed. And then I thought like, oh, well, the people at the top are together. And so mm. there's something about that really clicked of like, there's this celebration of two people at the top, whereas the one person alone is kind of getting like exiled. Oof. And so it really made me think about karma and how like, just reevaluating karma as this process of moving towards love instead mm. of it being like punitive and like love and learning. And, and so I thought like, oh, what if I've been looking at this totally wrong? So, wow. yeah. <laughs> I, I, I feel like what you're saying now is opening up so many different doors for me because, you know, we had such a brief interaction about what your experience was with this card before this. And now really hearing you get into it, I'm like... Holy shit, that had to have been a pretty profound moment for you to, I mean, and again, what a beautiful explanation or kind of way to experience the cards that is healing and therapeutic and, and eye opening because I feel like that just offered you so much insight that you didn't have before mm-hmm. and maybe made you even look at the role you're playing, the role other people are playing. And I even, I even sense some empathy from you emerge as you were talking about the card. I mean, it was really incredible to sit here and feel. I was like, wow, (laughs) she's going from like irritation and resentment to compassion and empathy to I, how do I make sure that I'm not isolated or this person's not isolated or, you know, how do I make sure my intentions are well, like well and good. I mean, there was a, there was so much narrative there. Yeah. Wow. 
I know, which is why I was like, I'm sorry, this is going to take like 10 minutes, but I have to tell you the whole journey because it's been a real journey. And I think it's kind of evolved as I've understood karma in a different way too. Mm -hmm. Like I do not study it, you know, so I, I haven't read a lot about karma, but it's more just my own experience of like the way energy ebbs and flows or like comes back to you depending on what you've put out. And so, and I really, to me, this card is always coming up as like the karmic lesson card. And again, it just sounds so punitive, but I really don't think it is, you know? No, and I think that's what, I think that's what's really affected my relationship with this card is because so many of us view it through this really short lens and we haven't really had the opportunity to, I feel like other... I don't know how I even want to say that because before we did this podcast, I was like, let me just see what other people are saying. Cause I was desperate to find a new way to view the card or experience the card. And I'm like, mm-hmm. someone has to say something that I have not heard already. <laughs> and I yeah. like, I couldn't really find anything that really stood out. So mm. I'm, that's why I'm really excited to hear what your experience, you know, was with this card. And even though, you know, karma and karmic energy is something that is typically applied to this card. I feel like the way that you're talking about it and experiencing it right now is so much deeper than the way that we typically view the card. And Mm -hmm. you had said something a moment ago, which I think is really important. And you had mentioned something along the lines of like, you know, where am I in this card? And I love that you tend to ask yourself, like, who am I within this card? I think that's a really powerful question that can help deepen or even just like change the meaning of any card that mm-hmm. that you pull. And I, I think too, it points out how each card that you pull, whether it's the Wheel of Fortune or any other card, can change at least slightly the meaning based on who you are in the card or what you are in the card. So totally. for you to even point out the importance of like the two people on top and the person on the bottom and, you know, well, what happens if I try to this person, but then like, you know, are you really going to be at the top? No, but yeah, I mean, I do want to give a shout out to who I learned tarot from Mm -hmm. early on, which is um, Amelia Whitehouse. She's a tarot Mm -hmm. reader in Scotland. And that was kind of like one of the things that she said, like, if you're getting stuck on it, or if you're reading with someone and you don't want to say like, you're this angry person and the five of swords, you know, like maybe you're the person in the background. And so that always kind of stuck Mm -hmm. with me. And then since then... When I'm reading, I feel like when I'm talking to someone, like the personalities of like the energies in their life will like pop through the different characters. So yeah, I don't know. It's been a really interesting process of like how that's evolved too. But um, yeah, I mean, I think what I read, because I was also doing the same. Did you look up tarot for change at all? Like before this? Um, I, I have it next to me. Yes, I did. And I'm trying to remember exactly what she talks about. I think she talks about it as like pretty similar to what the standard interpretation is about like change and like, does she also talk about what's inside our control versus outside our control? Cause I feel like that's just the standard therapeutic response. That's what I would say. Yeah. Got it. Okay. I wasn't sure. I like, cause I, most of my tarot reading is still in the like more historical, like, Mm. you know, Rachel Pollack. Of right vibe, but that's interesting that that is kind of like the the new paradigm of that card because I, I found that and was like, yeah, that's pretty cool. And also thinking about the idea of like recovery, um, I'm just starting to like take steps into twelve step programs. So oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, I've been sober since for two years, but 
kind of never did any recovery programs. So Mm. I'm kind of like, I think I could learn a little bit more about building community around it. But this idea that recovery is like a spiral and not like a straight line. And so I thought something about the wheel, that's kind of a nice metaphor too. That like, yeah, you're going to be great and then you're going to hit with a new challenge and Mm. then, you know, you're going to be back up there again at some point. But yeah, I don't know. know. The way I think about it too is, so when I was reflecting on the wheel, especially in terms of cycles and phases and, and even karmic energy, I, because it's not linear, I view it as this like expansion and contraction, Mm. which might not totally make sense for some people because the wheel is this thing that's not necessarily expanding, contracting. But I think about it in terms of if we're expanding at whatever point we are in our life, then we're probably on the outside of the wheel. And when we're on the Mm. outside of the wheel, we have more access to people, places, things, you know, scenery, we're able to see a little bit more. We can hop off if we need to versus like if we're in a phase where we're contracting and we're going inwards, you know, there might be a sense of isolation there. We're, Mm. you know, in the center of the circle. So we're not really able to access much on the outside. And I think this also might be a metaphor for depression too, (laughs) seasonal Mm. affective disorder. That's been on my mind a lot lately for clients. Maybe that's why I went there. Oh, that's funny. (laughs) It's the opposite for me. I get so happy around the fall, but a lot of other folks don't. Mm. So this is like a phase and a time of year where they're like contracting and they don't Mm. see like the joy and the possibility and things that are, you know, accessible to them versus like in the summer, you know, they, they might be, but that's more of a, a therapeutic perspective. The other kind of perspective that I've been hanging on to lately in terms of, you know, especially going back to you talking about karma, is this idea of also looking at the wheel as a, a cycle breaking experience mm-hmm. because, you know, the wheel is cyclical and talks about cycles in general. But I feel like it's usually discussed in terms of just like, oh, this cycle of life. But what about the cycles and patterns that we learned growing up that maybe we're still holding on to, but are trying to break? Like Totally. It's called the wheel of fortune, but you know, (laughs) it could also be a wheel of generational trauma Trauma, or generational curses. Like, let's get rid of that shit, you know? Yeah. Oh, definitely. Well, yeah, it's funny because I was just looking, um, I have the movie tarot deck. And oh, so nice. I was just looking at the the Wheel of Fortune with that, which is Doc Brown, I think his name is, from mm. Back to the Future. Yes, and yeah, and he's yeah. basically hanging from the clock tower with you know he's got the the clock hand in one hand and then the cord in the other, and he's got to like connect them to mm. make the DeLorean go back in time or whatever to fix. And essentially, what they're doing in that movie is like fixing generational trauma, where like the father was being bullied and the mom like didn't respect him and you know and so there's something about that that feels very in line with Mm -hmm. what you're just saying um because I was looking at that one and I'm like of the other three that I have in front of me this one's the outlier because it is such a instant you know so that's cool that you said that because I do think sometimes when I have the wheel of fortune come up for me in a reading it is about the karmic lesson like one of the things that your soul came here to learn in terms of breaking an old pattern and it, because it's so big that it may just take a while. And so yeah. like what you're saying is like that breaking of generations potentially of patterns. and Absolutely. I love that you just brought up that card because one of the cards that I grabbed that also is an outlier 
compared to the others was Somnia Tarot's Wheel of Fortune, which also oh. shows this like grandfather clock and it's on fire. Beautiful. <laughs> and, right? That's so weird that they both have the clocks. Oh, right? interesting. I love it. And there's like this level of like fire electricity present in both of them mm. if you think about it. So yeah, this one I, oh, I feel like really is maybe speaking more to that. Like what are you burning down? What cycle are you saying time's up? type of, Mm. you know, having that type of um, viewpoint, like what am I ready to release? But there, this, that's not an easy process because Mm -mm. when we think about cycles and the cyclical nature of things and phases, we come to, we come to thrive off of their familiarity. We Mm -hmm. know what to expect, you know, when, as that wheel is spinning, we know how to function within it. So the idea of Hopping off of that or mm. burning it down altogether is sometimes more terrifying than just saying, I'm just going to stay on this wheel. Mm. And oof, that takes <laughs> takes a lot of work to say, okay, no, I, I can't stay on this wheel anymore. I'm going to take oh, my chance. Yeah. Like I'm going to take a chance with not being able to predict what will happen if I burn it down or hop off of it versus just staying on. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Like this idea that maybe there's multiple wheels and like you're like on this one until you decide you've had enough of your ups and downs of that particular pattern. Ooh, yeah, that's intense. I like that you said multiple wheels. I didn't necessarily think about I didn't get that far ahead. I was just like, let's get off this. But I love that. Get off the fucking wheel. We don't want this anymore. (laughs) Yeah. Absolutely. Go find another one. (laughs) Yeah, totally. And there will be one lined up for you as soon as you get off this old one. Like, yeah. Yeah, or build a different one. Totally. (laughs) With different rules. Like, you don't ever go down. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, right. You don't ever. You're just always at the top. You know, actually, this is making me think too. And you as an artist, I, I feel like you'll really resonate with this. When we're looking at these images, I feel like there's a little bit more movement, you know, in the Somni and Taros and, mm-hmm. you know, yours, but these are static, is that the right word? Static images? Like there, there is no actual movement when we're looking at them, but mm-hmm. it's implied that there's movement. So I wonder how that affects us too when we're looking at this card, mm-hmm. knowing that it is this flat image, nothing's actually happening. And also we're, we're viewing it in one moment in time, like one very split second. We don't Mm -hmm. know how fast the wheel is moving or really even what direction it's going in. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's so true. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Yeah, because that like artistically, it's definitely a challenge. Like what signifiers are you going to use to show the viewer that this wheel is something that is meant to be in motion? Like with the Morgan Greer, you know, you have this hand cranking, but like you Mm -hmm. said it kind of seems like he's cranking forward, but he could also be backwards. I mean, in that case, no one would be on the wheel. But um, (laughs) yeah, that's an interesting thought. Like, what would it mean for the wheel to go in the opposite direction that you think it's supposed to go in or... Right. It's kind of like, you know, when you're a kid and you're riding a bike and you want to take a break from 
<laughs> you know, really like going fast on the on the pedals. And so you go backwards and you're kind of just coasting, but yeah. it still feels good because you're yes. coasting. And it's, I don't know, it's this really like nostalgic feeling. So that's what I'm thinking mm. about with that right now. Like, what would it feel like to allow the wheel to go backwards for a second and just coast? I guess maybe I'm speaking to us feeling as a society, like we're supposed to constantly be moving forward at like a high rate of speed. Maybe that's where my brain is going. And we, you know, the wheel constantly has to be spinning really fast. Like how can you, you know, make sure you're back up at the top again for, you know, as long as possible. But sometimes it is nice to just let the wheel spin and not feel like you're constantly having to like pedal the wheels really fast. Yeah. And also that this is maybe a little bit more traditional, like you, okay, you're at the top. It's not going to like last forever. Like enjoy it. You know, that kind of appreciation of the moment that you've maybe worked really hard to get there. And Mm. yeah, you're going to get knocked down with something else, but like enjoy your moment in this, you know, karmic success or whatever. (laughs) Absolutely. Actually, I feel like that even just kind of where that this conversation went speaks to this Tarot of the Abyss card because mm. it's I feel like it's so different than a lot of the other cards. Oh, so, interesting, yeah. Yeah, so she's depicted kind of just like hold, holding the wheel and looking at it. Mm. And she's ex- almost expressionless or maybe a little pensive, like just watching it, where I think it's a, it's a nice image. It's different than what we usually see because usually you know, the the creatures or the people are on the wheel. Even in uh, Fyodor Pavlov's deck, he represented it as the goddess Fortuna because that's what it is based off of in uh, mm. like the Marseille tarot, um, right. more yeah, traditional. Yeah, yeah. But I, I don't know, it's interesting like holding it for a second and really just observing. Mm. And that might go back to our discussion, really how you opened up the episode about where am I on this wheel? Like really taking a moment to reflect, like who's on it with me or, you know, is it what patterns of this wheel are functioning well for me? What Mm -hmm. aren't? So yeah, it kind of speaks to, it's okay to hop off every once in a while and get this Mm. maybe outside perspective of what's going on, you know, because sometimes it's really hard to see when you're in it. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like, I feel like when it comes up, I'm always like, oh, bigger things are at play, you know? Mm. And I never quite expect it when it comes up. Like, I'm like, oh, shoot, karma, you know? Mm. Or, oh, shoot, like, this is actually like a bigger lesson than I thought it was going to be. Or, you know, there's just more to the story. And then I think what you're saying, it is good to take a step back. Like, okay, what broader issue or generational thing might be informing my experience right now if if it is such a big issue instead of it just being like oh you know maybe you're just angry today you know or something right. you know and you know thinking back to I want to I want to go back to you, you were talking about your experience with the card and the other people in the card and you know where you see yourself or who you see yourself as portrayed in the card because looking at this Tarot of the Abyss example I don't know. It feels really emotional. And I feel like your Mm. experience with the card was really emotional. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it's so easy for us to take messages from society that are, oh, you should be doing everything on your own, be independent. Um, And sure, sometimes it's great. (laughs) Yeah, like... But I'm curious, like, you know, when you had this experience with the card, it very much felt like you were 
inching towards, oh, I don't necessarily have to view this from an insular perspective, or I'm allowed to, I'm allowed to seek out someone else to be on this wheel with me. And you had said something to me. I don't think you had said it on the podcast. You had said it outside the podcast. If you can't beat them, join them. And that just popped into my head again. And I was like, wait, like, I feel like that's an important sentiment here. So I'm curious Mm. what your thoughts are on that idea and that experience that you had, especially based on kind of where this conversation's gone. Yeah, I think a lot of it had to do with this ego desire to like win, you know, because you look at like the king and queen on the top and you're like, someone's winning here. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, and so I think that can kind of trigger this feeling of like, well, it better be me. Like I'm very competitive, you know? So like, well, I want to be the one to win, but then... Mm. Again, I think if you go in with that energy, it like you don't get that energy or you get that exact energy back. You don't get the thing that you want necessarily. Like, even if you're on top for a second, like people don't like that energy because it doesn't include them, you know? And then I think there's also just like life isn't fair. Like, figure out, like, oh, okay, these people are in a position of power. Like, if you don't work with them, you're going to get booted. They do not have time for you, they're communicating Mm -hmm. it you know, or they they aren't willing to play by your schedule, your rules, your whatever. So like either you make it work with them and like kind of take more of a win-win strategy or you just like are not going to be engaging in that dynamic. Because I think just the reality sometimes is like you are the like low-ish Mm. on the totem pole or what that's like yeah. so many metaphors <laughs> right I got it though yeah you're this little fish in the big pond <laughs> yeah exactly you're gonna get eaten yeah. if you don't like yeah. join the school of fish or whatever yeah oh gosh you're talking about so many important things right now and I'm trying to figure out which one I, I want to grab a hold it's of a first I love it though like you talking about I kind of want to go towards the ego for a moment because that was something you had brought up outside the podcast that I was like, oh yes, like we totally need to go there. And that's something, you know, I've also struggled with throughout my life. And I've done a lot of work around where is this kind of like competitive nature coming from? And I, not to be so cliche, but it does go back to my childhood. (laughs) I think about, you know, my dad was someone who I was very into sports growing up. Yes. (laughs) Oh my God. Sports. All I could think of was like sports, sports, sports. Yeah. You know, I think my dad always wanted boys. He got three girls. So we were forced into these, like, you're going to be an athlete. Totally. Oh my God. <laughs> right. So, you know, growing up, you know, I got really positive attention when I was winning. And if I wasn't mm. winning, I didn't really get that great of attention, if any at all. And so I, you know, reflect on what that does to someone's ego and what that does to someone's self narrative. And, you know, when you're a child, it, what it teaches you is that you're not going to be loved or safe or celebrated, or you don't have any inherent value if you are not at the top, if you are not winning. Mm. And now, of course, as an adult, I know that that's absolute bullshit. And I've worked, yeah, I've worked really hard and done a lot of work knowing that I'm still safe and I'm still valuable if I'm not, you know, what, whatever measure of success I I have for myself or whatever, Mm -hmm. or I feel like someone else has for me. And I think that's something that'll, a lot of us struggle with, especially, you know, to bring social media into it. You know, social media has affected people's mental health so much because 
people, right? People start to attribute their, their value and their worth to how many followers they have or how many likes they're getting. And if, you know, they're, you know, the top influencer and whatever, top content creator. And it's really detrimental because then you are only focusing on, you know, what's people's perceptions of me or my work isn't valuable unless it gets this many likes. And then if it doesn't get any likes or it's not seen, then my work is not valuable. And that's, you know, really what I'm talking about the wheel of fortune of the algorithm at this point, you know, because this is... (laughs) For the yeah. most part, something that is outside of your control. You can do whatever you can to like make sure people see your stuff. But if you're only attributing your worth and value to when the algorithm is allowing you to be at the top, um, that's not going to go well for you. And it's going to feel really shitty. Yeah. Well, and it's so interesting. I don't know if I ever... Because I had a similar experience. Like I played all the sports, you know, even though I was tiny, um, short, you know, like I tried playing <laughs> yeah. volleyball for a while and then I was really big into fast pitch. Um, um, yeah, yeah, softball, soccer, yeah. <laughs> totally. But yeah. so I don't know if I ever attributed that to the social media piece because mm. that's really big for being an artist. I mean, it's really big yeah. for anybody yeah. trying to market, but I would say Instagram as a painter, you're like, yeah, definitely it's important. But that's so interesting. Yeah, I'm kind of need to like unpack that because <laughs> it's real though. You know, I yeah. think I definitely, there's a lot of shame around like this painting didn't get, you know, however many likes, even though like I look at a lot of my friends and like no one's getting more than like two or 300 likes. And then there'll yeah. be like the one person who has like 2000 likes. I start to think like, this is just like an agreement we all have with the universe that this person's going <laughs> to get validation in this way or something, you know? <laughs> Talk about the Wheel of Fortune. Like, that's just their lot in life. Like, I don't know how else to explain it to myself, you know? Yeah. And I think, too, like, it's the... uh, Now we're getting into social media. It's the wheel of the the algorithm, you know? Like, that person got lucky. They were at the top of the wheel. The algorithm was like, let's show all these people their work. And, you know, even if we're not getting that same level of, like, you know, 2,000 likes, you know, for example... Maybe instead of 200 likes, it's 210 likes, and that's our top of the wheel. Right, but exactly. it still feels shitty, right? Because it's like, what am I? What am I doing wrong? And I think this goes back to yeah. really, this is about comparison. You know, mm-hmm. are we? You know, we're looking at you know our our wheel of fortune, and we're saying, oh, our wheel of fortune, and you know what we're experiencing is very different from this other person. So mm. that's a you know, in comparison, is a thief of joy. Blah blah blah. <laughs> but I mean, it's interesting to think like we're basically saying oh like we should be experiencing what everyone else is experiencing but we're not on their wheel we're on ours and that's not like it doesn't make it better it just is so you know there's also a component of acceptance I think that exists within this card you know, things we can control and things we can't. And actually mm-hmm. you talking about 12 steps, there's like, that's, what's the serenity prayer? It's something like, um. <laughs> yeah, I like accept the things I can't change. Yeah. Or, you know, give me strength, blah, blah. I'm right, like, right, I've right. been to like one meeting, so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, yeah, don't put me on the spot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, don't, I couldn't be the spokesperson. I think you're not supposed to be, so. <laughs> right. But that's what it, you know, makes me think of this level of acceptance and, and knowing like, oh gosh, this is also cliche, but it is what it is. And mm. that's also frustrating too, because I think 
There's so much that is inside of our control, but also so much that's outside of our control. And there's things that we can do to influence some of the things that are outside of our control. But at the end of the day, I think there's an acceptance of some things are just so much bigger than us as an individual. And I think that goes back to your conversation of, well, if you can't beat them, join them. Not that you have to like join the things that are shitty in the world, but how totally. can you join other people who are like sharing your same values or having the same experiences as you so that you don't feel alone in what's happening so that maybe you can have some sort of greater influence. I feel like I just went on a big tangent, but hopefully that makes sense. <laughs> oh, definitely. Oh, well, I know. Like when you were bringing up comparison, my friend Carissa runs a podcast and she interviewed this person who wrote a book about comparison. Mm-hmm. And they did a bunch of studies and actually what really helps is comparing yourself to people who are doing less good than you or the same. Interesting. In that like we don't do that enough. We always only compare ourselves to like the top 1% of people in our field or whatever. And so we'd actually really benefit from comparing ourselves to people who aren't doing as well because then you're like grateful for what you have. So it's like maybe like you're in the middle of the wheel, but like look at both the bottom and the top, you know, and kind of like acknowledge like, oh, okay, this isn't so horrible or... Or I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be because these other totally. people are also here and I shouldn't yeah. be... Just because I'm a therapist doesn't mean that I should be writing or have 10 best-selling books because, right. I don't know, Esther Perel does. Like, that just doesn't make sense. Right, like <laughs> you, you know? will. Yeah, like you're on your way <laughs> up that wheel, but like it's just going to take some time kind of thing. Absolutely. I One of the things I wanted to talk about, I'm kind of shifting gears, but I wanted yeah. to get your perspective on this too, because something I've really been thinking about with the Wheel of Fortune is this idea of ritual, because mm. rituals, I feel like are naturally cyclical if you think about them. And I, when I think of a ritual, I think of a circle, like that's what pops mm. into my mind. And I'm wondering if that, if other people like, <laughs> is that just a, a me thing? Do you see shapes like that when you think of like different words, but I see a circle. And so when I think of the wheel of fortune, I think like, okay, so what sort of ritual like is happening or what sort of rituals do I have in my life that, you know, are benefiting me? What sort of rituals have I ignored? Because, you know, there's a lot of psychological benefit to rituals. They reinforce like our sense of belonging, our identity, our creativity, and they also help regulate our nervous system. So that's like one of the things I've really been sitting on. Like, Mm. you know, I I was just reflecting on the Wheel of Fortune and rituals just kept coming up for me. So I was curious, like, what is when I think or when I say rituals in the Wheel of Fortune, I combine them. Does that something that even makes sense to you? Like what comes up for you when I say that? Mm, yeah, I mean, it 100% makes sense. Like, I've never thought about that other than just the origin of like this springtime sacrifice of the mm. king. I, I don't remember where, but somewhere in the UK, they used to do that. In that sense, there's something about like death and rebirth, you know, um, which I guess is kind of more traditional, like this renewal of kind of an experience or of a selfhood. Yeah, I don't know. I love it. I have never really thought about that. Do you have a ritual in mind that you... I I think so. I mean, even just pulling cards is a ritual, right? But I was yeah. thinking about how, like, what do rituals represent? And I feel like rituals to me, well, and probably other folks, are predictability 
amidst unpredictability. Mm-hmm. So if the wheel of fortune is kind of representing our experience in life, like sometimes things are going to be going good. Sometimes things are going to be really shitty. And, you know, we're constantly surrounded by, you know, all these elements and other things and, you know, <laughs> chaos and, and whatnot. The inner circle of, so if you look at like the traditional imagery, like there's so much happening outside of the circle, mm-hmm. but, like inside it's very uniform and it's very, mm-hmm. it's very just predictable and it looks clean. And I feel like when you're engaging in ritual you have this sense of calmness and this sense of knowing that maybe you don't necessarily get all of the time when you're like outside of a ritual. So life Mm. is inherently like ambiguous. It's inherently chaotic. So, you know, it's our job to figure out how to find little pockets of predictability or stability inside all of that. And I feel Mm -hmm. like rituals, one of the ways that we do that and, you know, rituals, you making the same cup of coffee every morning or pulling a daily card or taking the same route to work or walking the same path. And that goes back to how ritual helps regulate the nervous system and makes you feel calm. So when Mm. I was thinking about this card and how you know, we can kind of predict that, you know, things are going to go well, things are not going to go well. The one stable thing that you have control of is how you respond and react to all of those things. And I feel Mm -hmm. like the concept of ritual is a positive reaction to that. Mm. So that's kind of where my brain went. I love that. And I love the idea that it could also mark the different phases, you know, kind of Mm. like bring your awareness to them as you go through. And then also, as you were talking about that little tiny kind of like pie in the middle of the the kind of the Rider Waite Smith mm-hmm. card tarot, it reminded me of those pie charts where it's like the different parts of your life and how oh, yeah. you don't want to neglect one and like mm. and this idea of like, oh, well, maybe you know your family life is taking center stage right now, and then that goes down, and then another part comes to the top, and so this idea that like yeah. all maybe your career is down. So on one version of the wheel, you'd be at the bottom, but like maybe your family life is being really celebrated or, Mm. you know, so I love that idea. I never would have gotten there without the ritual thing. Yeah. That makes me think of the importance of intentionality, Mm -hmm. regardless of where you are on the wheel of fortune. So if you are kind of, if you're at the bottom of that wheel, still being intentional with what is inside your control versus what is outside of your control and taking a moment to step into something that feels, that still feels stable, that still feels good. And to know that, you know, this to be cliche, this is just a phase, but then also make sure that you're still being intentional when you're maybe at the top of the wheel and to not lose sight of, to not lose sight of like your core or even like where you came mm-hmm. from and to mm-hmm. make sure that you have ritual around, I, you were talking about gratitude a few minutes ago, gratitude of, okay, well, you're at the top because you were just at the bottom. So there, you know, ritual surrounding that really, this is making me think of just being intentional with where you are in life mm-hmm. and, and what's happening and having, having a level of mindfulness to you know, regardless of where you are in this wheel or where other people mm-hmm. are on on their wheel. Yeah. 
Yeah, I love that. I do a lot of like candle magic. So I feel Mm. like that always feels very much about intention setting. And then you kind of just let it like fizzle out into the the ether. Absolutely. I I love that you said do a lot of candle magic. I just I just went and and bought a few very intentional candles so that because I feel like I feel like that's another good way to just like pause and connect with yourself and mm-hmm. just be still for a moment. And it's, you don't have to do much. You just have to light the candle and like, let it burn. <laughs> totally. I know like the initial part is very like yeah. thorough, but it only takes like a few minutes. Right. <laughs> so. Absolutely. And I think like even talking about ritual, people can get maybe overwhelmed thinking, oh my gosh, like, what do you mean by ritual? I have to do all these things. Like, no, it doesn't have to be like, it can be something simple or it can be something elaborate, whatever feels good to you. Um, yeah. But yeah, like at the end of the day, there's a ton of research out there that shows like me, the fact that you are engaging in something that your brain can predict and make at the end of the day makes you feel good mm. is just really beneficial to your overall well-being. That's so interesting. So you're saying that witchcraft could become part of like your assignments <laughs> oh, as a therapist. Yeah, <laughs> totally. I've been having a lot of conversations actually with people about this and because I feel like the idea of ritual, the idea of witchcraft, the idea of tarot, it's all a form of psychodrama and it's all performative. I was having a conversation with someone this morning about this and, you know, some people will say like, oh, like your practice is so performative. You're posting it on social media or whatever, but everything we do is performative, whether it's performative for ourselves or it's performative for an audience. So, you know, Ritual is inherently a performance and it is a performance that makes you feel good. So yeah, why not engage with it? Why not allow yourself to do that? Well, yeah, because you're kind of like, I don't know about you, but I try to like step into this higher Mm -hmm. energy while I'm doing it. And that's part of why you do it. And it's right. not natural, you know, because I'm not always like my higher self or whatever. Right. But, <laughs> but yeah, I love that. Oh my God. Please. So that's right. That's a whole that's a whole other episode. Maybe that's we'll do another podcast. episode on that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. We'll talk about psychodrama and performance or performative psychology. Maybe that's what we'll call it. I love it. <laughs> but so can you tell folks like where they can find you and what oh, sort yeah. of stuff you have going on right now? Sure. So, you know, I am a host of the SideWoo podcast and had Shannon on there earlier this year, like maybe two months ago, I want to say. Yeah. And um, so I'm definitely very active on there. I've started doing weekly tarot readings, kind of focused for artists and like creative people. Um, But I think you could read it around your job too, just in general. And then I, every other week, do an episode and I'm going to start doing guest tarot readings um, like every other week. So, if people are interested in getting a free reading, they can send a question to the sidewoo at gmail.com. Cool. And then I'm an artist, so um, I am on Instagram, although I'm starting a new body of work and I'm really excited about it, but I'm kind of like, ooh, how soon do I post this? You know, it's like I get kind of weird if I haven't shown a series yet because I'm like, do I need to wait till like a gallery that I'm interested in sees it or should I, you know? So, yeah, I'm not super active right now is what I'm trying to say. So yeah, Instagram, podcast. I have a Substack called Art Date. I often... Which I love, by the way. Oh, thank you. So cool. Yeah. It's been really amazing. You know, it's it's very personal. I'll also talk about podcast episodes, but a lot of it's like kind of mini memoir anecdotes. So artdate.substack.com. But um, yeah, that's pretty much it right now. 
Awesome. And yeah, put that body of work out there. Now I'm curious. Now I'm like, well, now I want to know. Now I've got to see it. So. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to The Tarot Diagnosis. You can follow us on Instagram and TikTok under the handle at The Tarot Diagnosis and join us while we pull daily cards and explore tarot and mental health in between podcast episodes. You can also subscribe to our podcast to make sure that you never miss an episode. If you have a topic or question that you'd like for us to explore on the podcast, you can contact us directly on our website, www.thetarotdiagnosis.com.